appreciate that. That's a kind uh, introduction. I appreciate that. I don't know how much of it was true, but it was kind. Amen. And uh, I've enjoyed getting to meet Brother Hoover and getting to be here. I just wish he had a little bit more enthusiasm. He just a little bit, he just not quite enough enthusiasm. Amen. But I like that. Enthusiasm is contagious. So is the lack thereof. That's what's wrong with most of our churches, isn't it? There's no enthusiasm anymore for serving the Lord. So it's good to come somewhere where somebody has some enthusiasm, and I appreciate that. I, I, uh, I, I am sorry for you that I'm here. I mean that with all of my heart. I, uh, I'm pinch-hitting tonight, all right? The home-run hitter, uh, the Babe Ruth, the, uh, the Barry Bonds, is, he'll be here tomorrow night, okay? And uh, I'm just a guy on the bench uh, that they call in, to, you know, the late, late inning to come in and put down a bunt or something, and uh, hopefully not strike out doing that, amen? So uh, I, I, I told Brother Hoover on the phone, I'm a little bit intimidated. Some years ago, I was uh, called by another church in the Milwaukee area, Brother Noonan, to come up and fill in for Dr. Jack Hiles. He was supposed to be preaching at Brother Noonan's church, and he had something come up or sick or something. He couldn't be there, so I was asked to come fill his spot. Brother Gomez called some years ago, said, man, Joe Boyd's supposed to preach tonight, so uh, he, he's sick. Can you come preach in his place? I preached at Brother Joe, Joe Boyd's place. And then now tonight, in Brother Robertson's place, of course, these preachers, when they call, you know, here's what they say. Brother, I've called and called and called, tried to get somebody to come, and finally I thought of you. <laughs> Amen. So, <laughs> and so, like I say, uh, I'm sorry for you that Brother Robertson's not here tonight. I love Brother Bobby. I got to know him. I was Brother Brown's assistant pastor for 10 years out in Washington, Iowa. And through Brother Brown, who was Brother Bobby's assistant pastor, I got to know Brother Bobby. And he came several times to Marion Avenue. If you've never heard him, you're in for a treat. He has been now 40-something years, I think, at that church. And just as a wonderful man, one of the most humble men of God you'll ever meet in your life. God is just on him. God's just with Brother Bobby. So let me encourage you to be faithful tomorrow night. And you folks that are members here Wednesday night to the services. And then Brother Brown, man, uh, has he ever preached here before? Well, Tie down everything. Amen. <laughs> Tie down everything. Uh, this pulpit's dirty, right? Amen. Okay, good. Because he, he liable to crawl on top of it. I'm not kidding. He may walk on top of the pews. Ain't no telling uh, what he'll do uh, in the service on Thursday and Friday night. But uh, he is my wife's home pastor. My father-in-law, mother-in-law have been there before. Started, they, were the, they were one of the five families that, that chartered the church, called Brother Brown there. My father-in-law, if you've ever been there, Brother Hoover, he has the hook arm. He lost his arm some years ago in a farming accident. And they've been with Brother Brown now 33 years. 33 years in a town of 6,500 people. That's faithfulness, isn't it? I'm pleased to meet Brother Jones and get to know him. 25 years in the Milwaukee area in churches serving God. Something about that longevity, isn't it, Brother Hoover? It's a blessing. Open your Bible to Acts chapter 18 tonight. Acts chapter 18. I, uh, I, I do, I'm seriously thankful for the opportunity. You know what? However the Lord works. Isn't that amazing sometimes? And I appreciate a preacher that will stay and preach a longtime member's funeral. I would do the same thing. I'm sure your pastor would if they was put in that situation. So you understand. And Brother Bobby will be here tomorrow night, Lord willing. Good to see the kids out tonight and shaking hands. And I, I appreciate his, uh, his philosophy about having the kids in the auditorium for the preaching. I think that's important. I love the kids. I was preaching in Fort Worth, Texas last fall. 
down at Brother Mickey Holler's church, and I was there on, went into the restroom before the service and was washing my hands. I'd finished and dried them off with a towel and uh, getting ready to go, and I reached in my pocket, pulled out a peppermint, and I was opening it there when this little bitty fella, I mean, he was a little bitty fella, he came roaring into the bathroom, and, and I'm a little tall, you know, and he came roaring up to where I was standing, looked straight up like this. And I'm opening that peppermint. You know, kids aren't shy. He said, can I have one of those? And you know, I just don't hand candy to children, especially in a strange place, you know. I don't know. Sometimes parents don't like kids to have hard candy. And so I said, go ask your mother. She said, yes. <laughs> so, and I got to go, I thought, man, he didn't miss a lick. I'll tell you, he was right ready with that response. And he wanted that piece of candy. But anyway, uh, we'll get right into the message tonight. Do you stand for scripture reading? Whatever your practice is. You do normally? Okay, let's stand then. In honor of God's word, I like to do whatever the pastor does. And, uh, I, you know, I, do, I, I am... I, Mrs. Hoover here asked me if I ever met her husband. I, I told her no, but now I'm thinking back through the years. I'm sure that maybe our paths did cross at a meeting somewhere. Shook hands with Brother Hoover, and I know he has great testimony starting churches. And I just appreciate the opportunity to get to meet his wife, his son, daughter over here. What a blessing. Amen. Amen. And I appreciate this man's faithfulness in the inner city. Amen. You don't find that a lot anymore. I appreciate that. Look at verse number 7. I want to speak tonight about a city. Look at verse number 7, Acts 18. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. That tugs at my heart. He said, For I have much people in this city. And I want to speak to you tonight for a few moments on the subject, this Let's pray together. Our Father, we didn't meet here tonight just for fun, although it's been fun. We didn't meet here tonight just to get blessed, although we've been blessed. We met here tonight to hear from you, to have our hearts stirred. This is a revival meeting, a Reaching America conference for this church. And I pray that you will bless in this opening evening. God, for some reason in your great plan for the Bobbies in North Carolina tonight, Give him safety as he comes tomorrow. And a great service here. And then Brother Brown. Whatever you have designed for this service tonight, that's what we want. Yes. Fill us with your power. Speak to every heart is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Be seated. Corinth was the second city that Paul visited in the big area of Achaia after he left Macedonia. It would be like going from Illinois to Indiana. And then when he was in when he was in Macedonia, you remember the Macedonian vision that he had. And he said, saw the man of Macedonia, come over into Macedonia and help us. 
And he went to the chief cities of Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. And then he moved from Indiana or from Macedonia, like Illinois here or Wisconsin, and moved into the area of Achaia. And right away he went to the city of Athens, and Paul didn't have a, an overly successful ministry in Athens. Not many people were saved, but he stayed with it. And then he went on to Corinth and continued his second missionary journey. Now, Corinth was located on the southwest end of the isthmus that joined the southern part of the Greek peninsula with the mainland of the north. Corinth became a Roman colony in 44 B.C., and it turned into a bustling, important metropolitan center located between two large seaports. It was a cosmopolitan city composed of people from varying uh, cultural backgrounds. Corinth was filled with pagan cults. The most significant one being located in the temple of Aphrodite. A temple so huge and so wicked that it owned 1,000 prostitute slaves. Can you imagine that? Both male and female. It was a wicked and licentious city. In a day when immorality was rampant throughout the Roman world, Corinth was noted for its extreme immoral wickedness. Kind of sounds like your town, doesn't it? Kind of sounds like my town. Kind of sounds like any town or city, regardless of size, regardless of industry, regardless of school systems, regardless of location, regardless of arts and entertainment. Uh, you know, Satan has a grip on the population, doesn't he? And it doesn't have to be a huge city like the city of Milwaukee to be in the grip of Satan and sin. It can be a small city, a rural town like Washington, Iowa. And when I was there for those 10 years. We would go into those small rural towns, Brother Hoover, uh, of 200 and 500, and yet in those small rural towns of just a couple, four or 500 people, you'd find people there in the grip of sin and Satan, idolatry, immorality, filth, sin is in every city like Corinth, like your city, Milwaukee, like my city of Bourbonnet. And it was into this environment came this short, contemptuous, eye-diseased Jew with a Roman citizenship carrying a message that would set the city on its Head. I want you to look at several points of interest just in quickly, just quickly in passing here before I get to the body of the message. In verse number four, the Bible says that Paul reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. I like that. He was faithful and to preach Jesus Christ week after week after week after week. Not everybody's going to get saved the first Sunday. Not everybody's going to get saved the second Sunday. Now everybody's going to get saved the third Sunday. It takes faithfulness. It takes weeks, months, years. Dr. Wendell Evans at Howes Anderson used to say, Christianity is not measured in months or days or weeks or years. It's measured in decades. Decades of being faithful to preach the word of God. So you see that there in verse number four. He persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. That is the Jews and the Gentiles. 
Now, Paul was a Jew. But the message of Jesus, I like this, forced him to cross cultural and national barriers and take the gospel to every creature. Every creature. Crossing cultural and national barriers. In verse number 6, look at what it says here. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own hands, own heads. I am clean from henceforth. I will go unto the Gentiles. Not everyone received his message. And the same happens today, friend. Not everybody in your city, not everybody in my city is going to receive the message of Jesus Christ. Don't be a martyr. Don't be a whiner. Don't be a whiner. My city is hard. No, your city has some hard people in it. That's what the truth is. It's like my city. It's like Corinth. It's like every city here in the United States of America and around the world. Not everybody's going to get saved. We just got to be faithful at giving out the message of Christ. Verse number 8, look at it here. The Bible says, In Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. There are always some who will receive the message. Always some. Not everybody's going to. But there are always some. And here God gave Paul the chief ruler in the synagogue as a convert. You'll never know, friend, who you'll be privileged to win to Jesus Christ if you'll just stay faithful. Stay faithful at it. Stay faithful. So now you come down to verses 9 and 10. And this is where I want to draw the body of the message tonight. Paul said in verse number 10 that Jesus had told him, I have much people in this city. Now I want to show you three things about this city from these two verses tonight as our text. And apply it to Milwaukee. Apply it to Bourbonnais. Apply it to this city. Number one, I want you to see Paul's responsibility in this city. Paul's responsibility in verse number 9. God told him, speak and hold not thy peace. That was Paul's responsibility in the city. Speak and don't close your mouth. And this word here, speak, means to keep and keep on speak and keep on speaking and speak and keep on speaking and speak and keep on speaking and continue to tell the story regardless of the results. Don't ever close your mouth when it comes to speaking about Jesus, Paul. You speak and keep on speaking. And do you know, ladies and gentlemen, that is our responsibility in this city? Speak and keep on speaking. Keep speak and keep on speaking when it comes to speaking about Jesus from the pulpit, at the doors, over the radio, in Sunday school classes, standing on porches, walking up and down alleys, going into the homes. Speak and keep on speaking. Speak and keep on speaking. Some will get mad. Others will be indifferent. Some will argue, others will yawn, but thank God some will believe. So speak and keep on speaking. That was Paul's responsibility in this city. But in this city, his responsibility was not to build buildings. I'm not. A, I'm not against that. We built one. You've got what this magnificent. You folks realize how few inner city churches have such a nice building like this, and especially independent Baptist churches. It's beautiful. 
But the responsibility is not to build buildings. The responsibility is not to the responsibility is to speak and keep on speaking. Speak, hold not thy peace. Now I want you to see what was one of the biggest hindrances to Paul's keeping his responsibility. Was it not fear? The first thing the Lord said to him in verse number nine was, Paul, be not afraid. Don't be afraid. The Lord said to Paul, be not afraid. I understand here that God was speaking about physical uh, fear. Paul was fearing for his physical well-being. But friend, let me apply it this way tonight. Isn't it so easy to speak about most anything? From politics to sports to the weather to the economy to the price of gasoline to the basketball tournament to what the local sports teams are doing and to what the local political situation is like. Isn't it so easy to speak about anything and everything until it comes to speaking about Jesus Christ? And when it comes to speaking about Jesus Christ, it seems the cat gets our tongue. We're fearful. We're fearful. We seem to have a muzzle on our mouth. Fear is a factor. Listen tonight. Fear is a factor that prohibits us from freely speaking about Jesus Christ. And can I tell you that that has been a problem since the early days of the first century Christians? Fear has been a problem to overcome. Fear has been a factor to hinder God's people from speaking about his son, Jesus Christ. Don't forget that the disciples were gathered together in the upper room. What? For fear of the Jews. They were scared. But soon they were transformed into a bunch of bold witnesses preaching Christ on that feast day to thousands, not just Peter, all 120 of them left that upper room and went out into the streets of the city and began to speak about Jesus. What was it that transformed them from being fearful to suddenly being bold enough to go out in broad daylight and go everywhere speaking about Jesus. What was it that transformed that crowd? Well, you know, don't you? It was the filling of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Ghost. Praying in that upper room in obedience to the command of Jesus Christ. Jesus had told them to go to Jerusalem and tarry until they be endued with power from on high. And they had done that. And there in that room, the Holy Ghost of God empowered those believers. I, for one, don't believe that the church was started on the day of Pentecost. I believe that it was empowered on the day of Pentecost. They were empowered. And how were they empowered? They were empowered by the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's what caused this transformation. That's what gave them, watch it, that gave them boldness and fire in the place of cowardice and fear. Can I tell you something tonight, folks? Listen carefully. To be fearful to speak up for Jesus is not an indictment against your humanity. Because Christians have always needed help 
in overcoming fear. Come on, let's take the polish off tonight. Let's be honest with each other. Just to walk up to somebody that you don't know, to walk up to a door where you've never been and knock on it for the express purpose of speaking to them about Jesus Christ to the natural man causes us times have you knocked on the door and hope they weren't home? Well, I guess they're not home. Let's go to the next time. How many times does that happen? Oh, to be fearful for speaking up for Jesus is not an indictment against your humanity. Hey, don't, don't, don't feel bad. Don't go on a guilt trip tonight because you uh, feel that fear factor when it comes to soul winning and speaking about Jesus Christ it's not an indictment against your humanity but hear this to be fearful to speak up for Jesus is an indictment against our lack of spirituality it's not an indictment against our humanity because all people have been fearful all of God's people those folks were. Look, folks, we're talking about some of the stalwarts of the first church. Peter, James, John, they were fearful. In their humanity, they were fearful. But were they when they were empowered with fear? Fire and power by the Holy Ghost of God. They suddenly became bold. See, look, our, our fearfulness is not a, an indictment on our humanity. Our fearfulness is an indictment on our lack of spirituality. We're not filled with the Holy Ghost. That's our problem. Our problem is not that we're people. Even God remembers that we're dust. He knoweth our frame. Isn't that one of the reasons God, God knew in advance that we were going to be fearful to speak up for Jesus and salvation? And so one of the results of being filled with the Holy Ghost is boldness, boldness. That's our problem. We haven't yielded ourselves to the Holy Spirit and been filled with His power. Ephesians 5.18 tells us, And be not drunk with wine, where is excess, but be filled with the spirit you see to be under the influence of alcohol is sin sure it is and we'll say amen to that but you gotta say amen to this too not to be under the influence of the spirit of God is sin just as well and that's what Paul is saying in that verse there He's saying it is a sinful thing to be under the influence of any alcoholic beverage. And it is just as much a sinful thing not to be under the influence of the Spirit of God. Have you ever seen a person controlled or influenced by alcohol? What's one of the characteristics of somebody who's, who's under the influence of an alcoholic beverage? Are they not bold? Are they not fearless? 
Brother Hoover was talking earlier about having Curtis Hudson in to preach. Brother Hoover, I know you probably heard him tell the story at sword meetings. And when he used to work at the fire station down there in, in, in the Atlanta area. And they were sitting around one day. They had all their work done at the fire station. And so they were sitting around the fireman just talking, cutting up a little bit. And, and a drunk stumbled into the fire station. Under the influence of alcohol and slurring his words and disheveled look. He was all drunked up under the influence of alcoholic beverage. Had a piece of paper in one hand, and he had a, had a pen in the other. And he stumbled up to the first fireman, and he said, what's your name? And the fireman told him his name, and the guy wrote it down on a piece of paper. He stumbled over to the next fireman, and he goes, what's your name? And the fireman told him, he wrote that name on another piece of paper. He went around four or five firemen, got their names, came to the fireman who was sitting on the front bumper, front fender of a great big old fire truck, big old guy sitting there. And he stumbled and said, what's your name? And the guy told him his name, and he wrote it down. And that fireman looked up and he said, well, that's your question. What are you going to do with all those names? He said, I'm making a list. And I'm going to whoop everybody on this list. And that fireman stood up. Up, 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 up. Great big guy. Reached down and took that drunk by his shirt, lifted him up off the ground, put him eyeball to eyeball, and said, well, I'll tell you something. You ain't going to whoop me. Put him back down, and the drunk said, I'll just take your name off the list. Amen. <laughs> That's what he said. I'll just take your name right off the list. They say, what makes a guy act like that? <laughs> That's pretty smart, wasn't it? Amen. What makes a man act like that? Is it not the influence of alcohol? I mean, to be bold, to stumble into a fire station and go to people you don't know and put their name down and tell them you're going to whoop them? That's one of the characteristics of being under the influence of alcohol. And in the same way, friend, when a believer is full of the Holy Spirit of God, there is a boldness and a fearlessness about us that will help us walk up to a group of teenagers and begin to witness to them. Go to a door. We don't know the people. Invite them to church. Press upon them the matter of salvation. The fullness of the Holy Spirit of God is what gives us boldness and fearlessness to speak about Jesus and keep on speaking. Isn't that our responsibility? Sure it is. Sure it is. I know you've heard the stories of D.L. Moody. I pastor a church just 60 miles south of the, of the city of Chicago where D.L. Moody really became famous for his Sunday school work and winning people to Christ, and taking those wagons and getting those kids off the streets and promising them if they came to church for 19 weeks in a row, he'd buy them a new suit of clothes and taking the wagons. And, and there he was at Farwell Hall and in the, the Illinois Street Church pastoring and filling that place up and reaching kids and then reaching their parents and reaching adults. And in 1871, when he was pastoring the Illinois Street Church, there were two ladies who sat in the congregation listening to him preach. And when the services were over, he was standing at the back shaking hands with the folks who'd been at the, at the service. And those two ladies would leave and they would say, Pastor, we're praying for you. Pastor, we're praying for you. <coughs> Every service. It irritated him. And finally one week he said to them, he said, ladies, why are you praying for me? Why don't you pray for people to be saved? Why don't you pray for the folks who are listening to me preach? And they said, because pastor, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Now, as I understand from the books that I've read, D.L. Moody asked those ladies to sit down and teach him. 
He didn't understand it. And two ladies sat down and taught him about the power of the Holy Spirit of God. He began to yearn for it. He began to long for it and hunger for it. And in 1871, the great Chicago fire came. The Farwell Hall was burned. The Illinois Street Church was burned. Moody's own neighborhood was evacuated. In fact, a funny story about that. When they were evacuating the neighborhood, they were gathering up what precious items they could carry in their hands to evacuate from the burning, the burning neighborhood. And there was a huge oil portrait of D.L. Moody that somebody had done of him. And his wife, Mrs. Moody, said, I, we've got to take that picture. And Brother Moody, D.L. Moody said, no, no, let's take, she said, I, you've got to take that picture. They took a knife and they cut that portrait out of the frame and rolled it up. And Moody carried that thing under his arm. And he said years later, I was always afraid that somebody would stop me on the street and say, what is that you have in your arm that's so precious you grabbed it from the burning neighborhood? And he would have to unroll it and show him a portrait of himself. <laughs> they evacuated the neighborhood. And after everything was destroyed... Illinois Street Church, the Farwell Hall. D.L. Moody took off for the east. <coughs> Pardon me. He went to Philadelphia where he had a Christian businessman who was a friend of his, John Wanamaker. John Wanamaker joined D.L. Moody. They went to New York City for the express purpose of raising funds to rebuild those buildings. They visited people like R.K. Remington, Remington Firearms. And they would raise money to go back. And while he was in New York City, he was walking down Wall Street one day. And now for these weeks and months, his heart had burned and yearned for the filling of the Holy Spirit, for the power of God. And D.L. Moody said, as he was walking down Wall Street that day, the power of God came on him in such a fashion. He felt so full. He felt so much joy. He had to borrow the room of a friend's house and close the door and get on his knees behind that door and just stay there for hours while the Spirit of God burned in his heart. D.L. Moody said he returned to Chicago. He preached the same messages and where before one or two people had been saved, now there was 10 and 12. And now there was 20 and 25. And where hundreds had come, now thousands would come. The power of the Holy Spirit. That boldness, friend. Paul's responsibility in this city was to speak and keep on speaking. It's my responsibility in my city to speak and keep on speaking. It is your responsibility in this city to speak and keep on speaking. What is our greatest hindrance? Fear. Fear. And the only thing that will help us overcome that fear is a baptism of power from the Spirit of God. Oh, that we would yearn and long to be filled with boldness to witness for Jesus Christ. Paul's responsibility in this city. Let me hurriedly point out the second thing about this city to you. In verse number 10, look at you see Jesus' presence in this city. Jesus' presence in this city. He told him, he said, for I am with thee. Is not this the same promise that Jesus made to the disciples? 
Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you. And then what? And lo, I am what? With you. You see, our soul winning partner is Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you take the gospel out to the streets and lanes of the city and I will be with you. I'll go with you. I'll walk with you. I'll protect you. I'll empower you. I'll bless you. Huh? Jesus' presence. You know, we preachers, we like to talk about God coming to our services. That's what we want in church, isn't it? Nothing wrong with that, is there? Not a thing wrong with that. We like to talk about God coming to our services and, and being in our services. And boy, on Sunday, the power of God was there and all the singing and the fellowship and the preaching and the decisions at the altar. And God met with us. But can I ask us a question, folks, tonight? In all honesty, what good does it do for my city? And what good does it do for your city if we confine the presence of Jesus to the four walls of the church auditorium? Yeah. Right. What good does it do Milwaukee? What good does it do Bourbonnet if we confine him to this building? Folks, our cities need the presence of Jesus Christ. And Jesus told Paul, you speak and keep on speaking and I'll go with you. Can I remind us all tonight that Jesus is not with the bartender? Can I remind you tonight that Jesus is not with the pimp? Jesus is not with the gangbanger? Jesus is not with the wicked businessman. Jesus is not with the sodomite. Jesus is not with the crooked politician. Jesus is not with the Satan worshipers. Jesus isn't with the Mormons. You see him in your city? Jesus is not with the JWs. They're in our city. But Jesus isn't with them. So if Jesus' presence is going to be felt in the city and he's not with the bartenders and the pimps and the gangbangers and the crooked businessmen and the sodomites and the Satan worshipers and the Mormons and the JWs, pray tell me if you and I don't take his presence out there, who will? Jesus' presence in the city, in the streets, and the lanes, and the highways, and the hedges, and the neighborhoods, and the alleys, and the doors. His presence in the city will be felt as his people take him to the city. Do you know it's better to go with the person of Jesus than with a plan? I'm not against a soul winning plan. And I'm sure you've been taught one. I'm sure you've been taught the Romans road. I'm sure you've been taught about John 3. I'm sure you've been taught scriptures all through the New Testament. Ways to take verses and show people how to be saved. And I'm not against that, friend. That's organization. That's teaching. And that's all good. But I want to tell you something. I'm afraid, even in my own church, we have far too many people going with just a plan. Right. Instead of with a person. 
how much better it is to start the day in fellowship with Jesus Christ. And then as so many opportunities approach, we're on our knees praying, oh God, fill us and use us today. And Jesus, you promised to go with me now. I'm going to go out and talk about you. Go with me today. And you get up off your knees and you go to a door and you talk about a person. A person that you know, a person that you love, a person that you fellowship with, a person that's with you. Jesus' presence in the city would be felt as these people took him in that city. All this talk in the church about knowing God and following Jesus. And there's no bus ministry and there's no soul winning and there's no door-to-door evangelism. In the presence of Jesus confined to the four walls of a church building. My city needs Jesus Christ. So does Milwaukee. It needs Jesus. Paul, you go and you take me with you. Can I tell you tonight, folks? Look, I wish I could stand and testify that Faith Baptist Church is, is one of those great soul winning churches. I get challenged and motivated by being in those churches. Brother Hoover, I know you do. Brother Jones, I I wish I could tell you that we have people down the aisle saved every service. But I'd be lying if I did that. I wish I could tell you that we had folk baptized every service. I would love that. I pray that God will give us that someday. I don't feel like we are one of those great soul winning churches. But can I tell you folks that we work at it and we work at it faithfully. And that's what meetings like this are all about to stir our hearts and challenge us once again in this great endeavor of taking Jesus Christ to our cities. Work at it. Stay active at it. Be faithful. Hey, you know what? You'll do that. Your city will notice. Your city will notice. Uh, One of our sister pastors was speaking, uh, was talking to a person who had talked to a funeral home director down in Kankakee, and they were talking about the funeral of a child. And the funeral home director told this person who told our assistant pastor, they were talking, said, you know, when it comes to tragedies involving children in this area, it seems like Faith Baptist Church is always involved. I appreciate that. Amen. They notice, folks. Right. You know, there are more folks in our town, Brother Hoover, who appreciate our bus ministry than those who oppose it. They appreciate it. I mean, one time one of our buses was going down a block, stopping at two or three different houses, and a man came out of a house. He didn't have kids that ride the bus. He didn't have grandkids that ride the bus. Nobody got on the bus from his house. He came out. He flagged the bus captain down and he gave a check made out of the faith of his shirt. Said, here, I see your bus going down the road all the time. I want to help out. Amen. No, I can't say that happens every week either. Amen. <laughs> but I'm saying people notice. People notice a man came from House Anderson to, to, to camp outside the Kankakee at the Kankakee State Park. And he wanted to go to our church on Sunday. He came in on Saturday afternoon to see where the church was so he would know where it was on Sunday. And he stopped at an AutoZone store just a block and a half, to have four or five blocks away from the church. He said, do you know Terry Angel? And the guy said, Terry Angel, Terry Angel. He said, boy, the name doesn't ring a bell. I don't know him. He said, well, how about Faith Baptist Church? And he said, well, no, no, he, no, he didn't say that. He said, 
He couldn't remember the name of our church. He didn't know if it was faith or first or what. He said, well, he's a, he's a Baptist pastor. And the guy said, no, I don't know him. And he said, well, look, can you tell me where there's a church where something is always happening and going on? And the guy said, oh, you're talking about Faith Baptist Church over here on this place. I like that. See, I like that. Now, I don't think we're a great soul winning church. But I will say this, folks. We work at it. And people in the city will notice. No doubt people in this area, they know about Souls Harbor Baptist Church. They know about you folks. They know about Brother Jones' work. And that's what this thing is all about. Taking the presence of Jesus Christ to the city. He can't be confined to the four walls of our auditoriums. He said, you go and I'll go with you. That's a great promise, isn't it? You see Paul's responsibility in this city. You see Jesus' presence in this city. Let me show you the third thing. Verse number 10, last phrase. You see God's interest. God's interest in this city. He said, for I have much people in this city. When we look at cities, what do we see? We see cars and sports and malls and businesses and factories and stores and roads and houses and toys and clothes and schools and resorts and ball fields and banks and property and birth, uh, birthdays and lakes and, and buildings and mountains. And, and we see all that. When God looks at a city, what does he see? He sees people. That's what God sees. God is still interested in people. And do you know why God sent Paul to come? What is it in there for? Paul, you stay here. Don't you be afraid. You speak and keep on speaking. And I'm going to send Jesus with you. I have much people in this city. The reason you're here is for people. Do you know why Souls Harbor Baptist Church is in Milwaukee? For people. That's why Faith Baptist Church is in Bourbonnet. It's there for people. God put us in our city for people's sake. And God put you folks in this city for people's sake. And I am convinced there are people God has in my city still. And Brother Hoover, I'm convinced God still has people. You know what I found out over the years? What I've come to realize? God's a lot more interested in people getting saved than I am. Oh, yes, He is. I see it sometimes, and it amazes me how God works and crosses your path and puts things together, and you see people getting saved. 
And folk, I want you to know it thrills my heart to know that there's a church in the inner city of Milwaukee like this church in Corinth that Paul was forced to cross cultural and national barriers and take the message of Jesus to every creature. You know we're trying to do that in our area, Brother Hoover? Kentucky has a large black population. And we have an afternoon black Sunday school for kids and teenagers and parents, adults. And we started it just for them. Just for those folks. And we go down there on our buses and we bring them in. And we have folks who stay. They come for Sunday school at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. And they never leave Bourbonnet. They never leave Faith Baptist Church. They stay all afternoon and don't leave until 8 or 8.30 when the evening service is over at night. And in the afternoon while some folks are taking a nap or watching a ball game, they are teaching and preaching to a couple hundred black folks every Sunday afternoon. Every week. Yesterday, they had almost 50 precious black souls, teenagers and adults, almost 50 teenagers and adults in the service yesterday afternoon. You know who's preaching to them? A black boy that I've found in the alley of Kankakee 14 years ago. When he was a 10-year-old boy, he rode the bus and got saved and stayed. And he got in our school, graduated from our school. And in two months, Lord willing, he'll graduate from House Anderson College. He met a girl, a black girl from London, England. We support a missionary over in London, England. And this missionary won this black young lady to Christ. Sent her to college in the States. And the black boy from our church met her and they're getting married. Her name is Esther. She was at our church yesterday. We didn't have Easter Sunday. We had Esther Sunday yesterday. Amen. You see, I don't want to be known as a white church, brother. I want to be known as a people church. The Spanish folks are moving in our area. A couple years ago, we got a Spanish church started. Spanish department. Now the building, Brother Hoover, the building is active almost all day on Sunday. 10 o'clock Sunday school, 11 o'clock preaching. 1 o'clock Spanish Sunday school, 145 Spanish preaching, 3 o'clock afternoon Sunday school, 5.30 King Hour, 6.30 evening service, almost all day on Sunday. There's preaching and teaching going on. Whites and blacks and Spanish and, and, and all people. See? Yeah. That's what it's all about. We're having vacation Bible school. This is what I mean, folks. God's more interested in people than we are. We have a vacation Bible school. After we started the Spanish department, we had vacation Bible school. And I was there on a Friday night. And I, I was just kind of there to police and keep order and help, just help do what needed to be done. I wasn't even running it. And I was standing out in the foyer, and a, and a Spanish man came walking through the doors. And he told me his name was Julio. And he spoke Spanish, and thank, thankfully, the Spanish pastor wasn't there that night, but there was a person working the nursery who spoke Spanish. And I, I went and got the person in the nursery that spoke Spanish and put the two together. And he said he just, he, he'd been searching for truth, and he was wanting to find the truth, and he just came to the church. 
Our Spanish pastor went to visit him. Julio got saved. His wife got saved. Their kids got saved. They've been faithful ever since, baptized, following the Lord. I saw him Saturday going out soul with our Spanish pastor. You see, that never happened. A Spanish man never walked in our building until we had a Spanish department. What does that tell me? That tells me that God has an interest in people in my city. God has an interest in people in your city. Years ago, the day after the Challenger blew up in space, do you remember that? Challenger went up in the air, blew up. Seven astronauts were burned to death, disintegrated. He got into that church. I hear this. Ed Bragg put his house up for sale. A man came to look at his house. An Indian from the same town, the same school in India that Abraham William was from. Came to look at Ed Bragg's house, bought Ed Bragg's house. Ed Bragg said, why don't you come to church Sunday? There's a man from India in our church. Radix came to the Lafayette Bible Baptist Church on Sunday and sat with Abraham William, walked the aisle, got saved. His wife got saved. Their kids got saved. Now I am teaching him at Providence Baptist College. He's studying the ministry there to go back to India and be a missionary to his people. Now let me ask you, what are the human chances of a man from India coming to America and landing in the same spot as a man from his school? You know what that shows me? God has an interest in people. That's what that shows me. Yesterday, morning and evening, Wayne and Mary Faye Rayburn sat about four rows in the back on this side. They're there every service. They have a grandson named Justin. Justin went to Grace Baptist Academy in Kankakee. <clears throat> worked at Walmart in, in Bourbonnet and then transferred to the Walmart over in Morris, Illinois, 40 miles away. Justin was not living for God. He was saved but backslidden. He got over there in the grace of the uh, Morris and the Walmart in Morris and a person with a man named Tim Husingay from the Grace Baptist Church in Morris <clears throat> invited Justin to church. And Justin went to church, and Justin had his heart went with God. Started going to church faithfully. A couple of years passed, they had trouble in the church. Things fell apart. Brother Hughes Gay and Justin went about 20 miles south in the little town of Dwight, where my good friend, Brother Dan Woodward, pastors, Dwight, Illinois. They got in that church. Justin's grandmother, Mary Faye, lived a stone's throw from our church. And because Justin was going to church now, 30 miles away, faithfully, she started driving over there to church. Brother Woodward said to her, why do you drive over here when there's a church in your backyard pastored by my, my, by my good friend, Brother Terry Angel? She said, I've seen that church. I've thought about going there. He said, you ought to go there. 
Justin's a student at Providence Baptist College. I was teaching Justin homiletics and Bible classes at the Providence Baptist College up in Elgin. She visited our services. I didn't know who she was. On a Tuesday night, I went to visit her, Mary Faye Rayburn. I walked in, sat down. Her husband, 68 years of age, a good man, Wayne, was sitting right here. And she said, I am Justin Leisure's grandmother. I said, you're kidding me. I said, I teach Justin Leisure. Up at Providence, she said, I know. He's told me about you. I said, I had no idea. She said, this is Justin's granddaddy, Wayne. Wayne and I began to talk. And I said, Wayne, has anybody ever showed you how to be born again? No, sir. He was a good man. Worked 38 years at the Roper plant. Missed five days of work in 38 years. I sat next to Wayne, 68 years of age. I showed him how to be saved. He said, yes, I want to be saved. And I said, all right, Wayne, we're going to pray. And I'm going to give you some words to pray, but you can't say them to me. And you can't just repeat them. You've got to do it in your heart. And I began to pray. Dear God, say anything. I kept praying. I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve to go to hell. I kid you not, folks. All of a sudden, he said, Yes, I do. I deserve to go to hell. Oh, God, please save me. He began to weep. He trusted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. I called the wood on the phone. I said, Can't Justin's granddaddy. He said, You're kidding. I said, No. I said, You sent his grandmother to our church, and I got to lead his granddaddy to Christ tonight. And we rejoiced and shouted and kicked the lilies over. <laughs> and you know, and so that was on a Tuesday night. Well, Thursday, I went to the college to teach. I thought, Surely Brother Woodward had told Justin. That his granddaddy got saved, but Justin was up at the college. Brother Woodward hadn't talked to him. So I saw Justin before class started. I said, hey, Justin, wasn't that good news? He said, oh, yeah, that's great. That's a great ski camp. Yeah. Great what? <laughs> he said, oh, ski camp was great. And it dawned on me. And he didn't know. And I said, I got something better than that. Hey. Amen. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. So when hey. class started... I, I took the role and I said, anybody got a prayer request? We took a few prayer requests. I said, anybody got a blessing to share? And we took a few blessings. I said, I want to share a blessing with you. I said, a lady visited our church. Justin's sitting out there. A lady visited our church services this past Sunday. Tuesday night, I went to see her. Her husband's 68 years of age. I showed him how to be saved. And I told the story. And I said, on Tuesday night, I got to lead Justin Leisure's granddaddy to Christ. And that boy leaped out of his chair in that class. And the tears began to roll down his cheeks. And his shoulders began to shake. And he began to sob and slump back in his chair. And boys began to shout, Hey, man, glory to God. Hallelujah. We had revival at 8 o'clock in the morning in that class. Amen. But all that to 
tell you this. I hope that I'm a great soul winner. Our church isn't a great, what I would call a great soul winning church. I'm not bragging on me or the church. I'm simply saying, God, yeah. your God, my God, has an interest in seeing people. Right. I just wish we could get as interested in it as he is. Yeah. Paul, you speak and keep on speaking. Keep on speaking. That's your responsibility. And when you go, Jesus is going to go with you. Because I have much people Milwaukee, I still believe God has people in this city. You believe that, church? Amen. I do too. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Father, bless these dear folks on this Monday night. And oh God, how we need to touch a Holy Ghost boldness and fullness. Lord, help us to do our responsibility. Speak and keep on speaking. And thank you for the wonderful promise that Jesus will go with us and how our cities need Jesus. And then, dear Father, help us to realize that you have an interest in this city. And it's not the economy. That's right. And it's not the University of Wisconsin at Milwaukee's ball game. That's right. And it's not the price of gas. That's right. It's people. That's right. People. Oh, God, please. That's right. Help this church, bless it. Yes. Fill it with power. Yes. And I believe with all my heart, there's still many people in this city. That's right. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Let me ask a question tonight quickly before I turn it over to the preacher. Who's here and said, Brother Angel, I'm not sure that I'm saved. That's right. I don't know for sure that I'm saved. If you're not sure that you're saved, that's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life, to trust Christ. Is there anybody here who said, Brother Angel, Brother Hoover, I'm not sure that I'm saved. Let me pray for you. If you'll raise your hand, I'll pray for you. I'm not sure that I'm saved. Uh, I, I thought that Pope would be saved here tonight, but I just had to ask that. Amen. Now let me ask this question. How many would say, Brother Angel, I'm saved. I go to this church. The Spirit of God spoke to my heart tonight about my responsibility. Yes. And Jesus' presence That's right. and God's interest. Amen. Pray for me. The Lord spoke specifically to me, specifically to me about people. Would you lift a hand? Wherever you're sitting tonight, would you lift a hand? Would you lift a hand? God bless you. Would you lift a hand? Now take your hand down. Let's pray. Our Father, bless, I pray, this service and this invitation. Help us to be interested in what you're interested in people. May there be many souls saved yes. through the ministry of souls, Harper Baptist Amen. Church, I pray. Brother Hoover, yes.